the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good Tuesday afternoon. Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. We've got a lot to talk about today, and I want you to be thinking about the first time you went to a Christian music concert. In fact, this is, if you're ever out with a group of people and you just want a general conversation starter, just ask about what was the first concert you ever saw? What was the first Christian concert you ever saw, depending on the group you're with, obviously. But first concert for me, Simon and Garfunkel, 69 in St. Louis, still would be in my top five all-time concerts. It was awesome. First Christian music concert. This is interesting. So you can do the math on all of this. I was a freshman at the University of Tulsa in the spring of 1975 when we started seeing signs up around campus that Barry McGuire was coming to uh, to the University of Tulsa. And I knew Barry McGuire from 1965 when he recorded the P.F. Sloan uh, protest song. You know the one I'm talking The Eastern World... It is exploding. So I knew all of that. And I knew he sang Green Green with the new Christy Minstrels in the early 60s. So I'm thinking this could be cool. Barry McGuire coming to the University of Tulsa. And I'd heard something that he was he was doing Christian music now. It's 1975. I didn't know what that meant, but I was curious. There was going to be a warm-up band with him. Um, two sisters and a brother who sang harmonies together, called themselves the second chapter of Acts. We're going to warm him up. So my friend Craig Wilson and I thought 7 o'clock, I think it was a Tuesday or Thursday night, we just went up to the student center on the third floor and uh, went in to hear Barry McGuire and the second chapter of Acts. Here's the thing I remember the most about the concert. Well, a couple things. First of all, I remember that the Two Sisters and the Brothers, second chapter of Acts, their harmonies were amazing and their vocal stuff was, I mean, it, it, was, it was pretty impressive. Barry McGuire up on the guitar singing songs. I didn't know, never heard these songs. I kept waiting, when is he going to sing Eve of Destruction? Because that was the hit. And finally, at the end, he starts playing Eve of Destruction. He plays the first verse and then he goes into a little message, uh, a little sermonette about Jesus, which again, perfectly appropriate, but he never finished the song. I wanted to hear the whole song. So my first Christian concert, I just have to say I would give it um, a B minus on on the scale, but that was just the beginning. Because from there, two years later, um, it was the Imperials in, in the early days. Well, I can't say the early days. They'd been doing Southern Gospel for a while, but now they were doing a pop sounding thing. I started hearing Chris Christian, David Meese, um, the the first album from Amy Grant. I mean, I I was there. We we had a, a local radio station that played contemporary Christian music three hours a night from seven to ten o'clock, 
and I was tuned in most nights to hear this because it was the the style of music that I'd grown up on, but they were singing about Jesus. And so I'm, I'm curious in the midst of this about the first concert you went to and what your experience with all of that is. I've asked people all over and have heard about Michael W. Smith shows and about DC talk shows and about newsboys shows. And, and, um, uh, I'll just tell you there was, I was in a living room with the Pat Terry group when they were doing a, a show back in the late seventies. Um, so I, I could reminisce about a lot of that. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because of the movie that's coming out in theaters this weekend Last night in Nashville at the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame, a big premiere of the film that's going to be in theaters all across the country here in Southern California this weekend opens Friday. It's called The Jesus Music, and it's the latest film from the Irwin Brothers, who you know from movies like I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe, um, Woodlawn, October Baby, Mom's Night Out, a whole bunch of movies they've done. This is a documentary that is coming out in theaters this Friday, and we have got with us John Irwin on the line who produced, directed, involved in in bringing this to the screen. And um, so, so, John, first of all, welcome to Southern California Live. Great to talk to you again. Hey, Bob, good to talk to you, man. It's been a little while. and uh, It has been a while, and, and you've been busy, and I want to get caught up on all of this. But what was – you grew up with your dad as a DJ on a Christian music radio station in Birmingham. So you grew up weaned on contemporary Christian music, right? My dad, yes. My dad worked at um, WDJC, um, which was a mixed talk and music in, in Birmingham, Alabama, a big 50,000-watt station. And I remember – sitting behind the board for hours, you know, back then it was sort of an analog board and, and this music was, I mean, the film, the Jesus music is really, uh, when my wife and I watched it, we, we just, it's like, it's like, you know, and, and as I was making it, it's like, this is like the soundtrack of our life. This exactly. is like the soundtrack of our faith. I mean, I remember jumping up and down at Stephen Curtis Chapman concerts. I remember Michael B. Smith's worship concert. Now that was such a new experience, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, this music has been such an important part of, of, of so many of our lives. Um, you know, what I didn't know is that it's just another thing that goes back to the Jesus movement. And in the 70s, the origin of this music was in that explosion of revival in America. That's where this music came from. And, and it came from the most unlikely places. And, uh, and it was so cool to trace the story back to its origin and, and to hear these stories that have never been told before. I mean, it's a story that's never been told before. So it's, it's this experience in the music that you love, but the stories that you've never heard before. And I just, the artists, we've worked with them for so many years in different ways. The artists, over a hundred interviews, but they were so authentic with their stories. And, um, and it started, the first interview we did was with Amy Grant and, and open heart surgery about two weeks later and so we shot the, the interview through a window because of covid and we, we butted the camera up to a window and sort of sh- shouted it and she was on the <laughs> other side and we, we were outside uh, with a two-way radio and she just gave the most authentic and honest um uh interview and just told the stories that she'd never told before and that just started this domino effect of people just telling the real story and and being very vulnerable and open as artists 
and it was just unbelievable the stories that that came about. And so I'm very, you know, we we've, we've been a big we we directed music videos for many years and um, a lot of Christian music videos. Michael B. Smith gave us our break uh, doing music videos years and years ago. And you know, then we with when the films that we've made, certainly I can only imagine being the biggest uh, example, but also I still believe, uh, you know, we've, we've done a lot in the world of Christian music, but the overall story has never been told. And it's just a fascinating journey uh, from these dreamers that there was no place for their music to be played, there was no place for their music to be sold, and they willed an industry into existence. And it's just an incredible story, and I'm looking forward to it being in theaters this weekend. Well, and anybody who has been a fan of CCM for any length of time is going to love this film, love the stories that get told. I couldn't wait to see it. My experience, and I, I imagine you had a similar experience. I was watching the movie going, I want this to be the Ken, per- Ken Burns 16-hour documentary series where you take the whole, because every time you're, you're you're six minutes into a story and you got to move on to the next one, and I'm going, oh, I want to know, the, let's go deeper on that one. You know, I hope that it, what's interesting is the story um, came out, was really uh, created because of the last year and a half and because of the shutdowns. We had a movie, um, you know, I still believe our, our last theater, uh, theatrical feature film was number one the day it opened, but that was March 9th, 2020. So, you know, everything was closed uh, four or five days later, including all theaters. And we had two films in, in pre production. And those were put on hiatus, and, you know, the, the word came down that we could only have crews of 10 or less. And so we just thought, what are we going to make, and what, what stories could we tell? I'm too much of a restless, like, ADHD uh, creative to not make something. And so uh, Josh Walsh, who works for us, had this idea of, like, let's tell the story of Christian music, because all the artists were in the same boat. And so we did over, again, over 100. It was just amazing to see that everybody wanted to be involved mm-hmm. in it. And they, instead of telling the story of one artist, they wanted to tell the story of the journey of the music and of just entrepreneurs, you know, building. And so the question was, how do you tell the story? So in doing the doc, that was the great tragedy of, you know, we wanted to give this immersive experience in the music and just this this overall view of the, and focus on just a few stories. But I hope that, you know, after the documentary comes out, you know, there might be a, a broader way to explore the issue. Because we had the premiere for it uh, last night in Nashville. And that was the conversation with all these artists just, you know, apologizing for all the things that we had to cut. Because you, you could do a 10-part, a 20-part, and still exactly. not scratch the surface of how great these stories are. And, my wife, my wife turned to me in the middle of us watching. My wife turned to me in the middle of us watching the film, and she said, you need to do the podcast version of this and, and go ahead and do 80 episodes. And, and there are there is episode after episode that could be uncovered as you go back 50 years in the history of, of CCM. There really it's such an amazing thing to think that today there's this massive platform, there's a business, and there's a place where, where new artists can have their voices heard. It's multi-genre, there's, there's hip-hop, there's there's all kinds of different music under the banner of CCM, but it's it's incredible to think that back in the day, during the Jesus music, you know, you couldn't have a guitar or a set of drums on a stage. There was no Christian bookstores. There was no Christian radio stations. There was no place for them to play their music at all. And these early bands that just working like early pioneers on each other's you know, climbing up on each other's shoulders, they just willed um, 
an industry into existence. And and they wanted... So I think, to me, if you're a fan of the music, certainly, it's going to be the soundtrack to your faith. I really think you're going to love the experience. But even if you're not, um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where um, you, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to learn, and you're going to... Um, uh, sort of, sort of. Uh, I just think it's one of those great stories of dreamers who just would not give up on their dream. And and uh, and I think as a fan of the music, to understand what the artists that we love went through mm-hmm. to to get the songs that we love to us, and how difficult it really was, and the struggle and the humanity of it, and them wrestling with their own flaws, which they're so honest about in this doc. Uh, which was inspiring to me because it really does say that God can use anybody. You know, God can use me. God can use, uh, you know, no matter what you've done or, or you know, how unqualified you think you are, you know, those are the people that God chooses. And I think it's inspiring on that level. And I was just shocked by the level of honesty in which they were willing to share stories that they had never— I, we were literally counting the amount of times people were saying, "I've never told this story to anyone." Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and we, uh, we, we see you know, Toby Mac really on camera. We, we really see public. Toby Mac on camera saying that. I mean, you left that clip in as they're talking about DC Talk and what happened with DC Talk, and he says, "Yeah, I don't know that we've ever told this publicly before," and it's it's the unvarnished story, very real, very raw, and and yet they're being honest about what they dealt with. Yeah, and I think that makes it relatable, you know. I think so many of us, you know, live under this paradigm that, well, God can't use me because I'm not qualified. I'm not, you know, I don't live in the right place. I'm not educated. Whatever it is, I've, I've done something irredeemable. Um, and, and, and I think that's one of the great lies, right, that God can't use me uh, as I am or, you know, God can use anybody. And it was such a such a an inspiring thing for these for them to go beyond, you know, the normal promotions of their records and the the, the, the sound bites, and really talk about what they wrestled with and what had and how they failed and and how God used them. One of my favorite parts of the documentary that I, I just I, I tear up every time I see it is Amy Grant, uh, you know, writing on the back of a drawing she did. She said she literally wrote out all the reasons um, why she wasn't qualified to be on a stage in front of people. And, and yet she took it to, to, to her manager and, uh, and he said, you know, the, the messages, you know, we're just at the end of the documentary ends and saying, you know, God is good. And we're just flawed messengers mm-hmm. telling people how good he is. And, uh, and that's what qualifies us is the message itself. And I just felt like that was really powerful. And there's lots of those things. And so I, I watched the experience really invigorated to, to say, you know, God can use me. God, and God gives us all gifts, and we can use those gifts to, to get the gospel around the world, each in our own individual way. And, uh, and it, it, you know, God chooses people, you know, we don't, and we don't qualify ourselves. He qualifies the people that he, that he chooses. And so, you know, it's very inspiring at that level. And I just felt like the music, you know, every time I think about the experience of that worship concert just after 9-11 that Smitty did, or the, I remember the, the Stephen Curtis Chapman concerts. I remember, you know, with the, in the worship explosion or a passion event that I went to um, in my early 20s. And, you know, it's this immersive experience in, in music. And so I'm so glad Lionsgate uh, agreed to this for a documentary, but we just felt like the right way to launch the film 
was exclusively in theaters, which begins this weekend, because we want to be immersed in the music that we all love and in the stories of it. And I just think it's a great um, excuse to get out and, and be with people that you love and, and experience I, the music you love in, in a way that, um, uh, you know, that there's just nothing like the big screen. And so it's nice. I mean, this will be the first time, you know, uh, uh, in, in a year and a half we've done something that's, that's theatrical, you know, and it's just good to finally uh, be inviting people back to theaters again. And I have to think that people in and around Costa Mesa, any theaters you got there should be sold out because, as as you point out in the documentary, if there's a Bethlehem for contemporary Christian music, it's Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, right? I've never heard it said like that. That is so true. If there's a Bethlehem for modern Christianity in, in many ways, it's, it's, it's Pirate's Cove and it's Calvary Chapel. I don't think we understand the power of the Jesus movement. And one of the great goals of this, of a lot of the work that we're doing right now, but including the Jesus music, is I really, you know, we, we have this thing in our in our business that we call FOMO, that we try to create the fear of missing out, you know. And, and I've had, as I've studied the Jesus movement, this feeling of missing out on something. You know, in my generation, they, I actually have, I, I didn't realize this was a term, uh, but I, I guess I'm a, what they call a geriatric millennial. Like we've all gotten, I'm, I'm a year one millennial, and we've all gotten older. So now we're, that's funny. I'm like, wow, we're, we're getting old. So, so uh, <laughs> our joints aren't working. But but uh, but for for my generation, or or anybody younger than me, you know, we've never experienced anything like the Jesus movement. And there's been multiple revivals in America. They're deeply tied to American history all the way back to the Great Awakening preceding the American Revolution. And, you know, 50 years ago, um, God showed up in our country in a huge way in a very, very similar time to what we're experiencing right now. I remember talking to several people that, that experienced the Jesus movement, and I just said, how much does desperation play into this? And they said, desperation, we were desperate, desperate times, you know. And, and I think we feel that desperation again. And so one of my prayers is that God will revive us again. And, yeah. and one of the things I love about this documentary is it does revisit that time and so many of the things that we have come to, to take for granted in modern-day Christianity come from that movement, including the music that we love. And it was just, I love what Matt Redmond says. He's one of the great songwriters. He says, you know, it's not that the music instigates God's work, but it's just when God is working, it's accompanied by a soundtrack. And I think there was such explosive um, revival in the 70s that it just manifested itself in this new form of music. And you had these, 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 these hippies and these kids coming to Christ and wanting to, to sing about it, and they, and they fused it with the music of their time, you know? And, and there was a lot of controversy in that. I think any, anything that, that involves institutions is afraid of what's new and is afraid of change. And much of the church was afraid of the music. And uh, and it was so cool to see that actually twice Billy Graham was the one that came in and blessed it mm. and legitimized it. Uh, and we covered that at length in the film. So my hope is that we'll, that maybe one of the things that the film could do, in addition to just you know being immersed in the music that you love, is to say, wow, what if this happened again? What if this happened today? It's just such a similar time. And I think as a country, we need it. Yeah, there's a, there's a great look in the film at Explo 72. If there was a Christian 
Woodstock. That was it in Dallas in 1972, mm-hmm. and Billy Graham was there, and Dr. Bright was there. It, it was an amazing moment. But you trace from those early days in the early 60s in Southern California all the way through Christian music becoming an industry for better or for worse. And then you almost you bring us to a point where you would say today we're on the cusp of what you think is maybe the next chapter in Christian music. That's kind of where the film leads off, right? Because, you know, it's funny. One of the things that I love is just the story of, uh, of pioneers and of, uh, of people that, that, that invent things, you know, whether that's, it's, I, I love, you know, the tech revolution, you know, for instance, and Steve Jobs and, um, uh, you know, that whole generation. Um, and, and I think the idea of the film is that some of these early pioneers really invented something that didn't, didn't exist at great cost, you know, at great cost, uh, to, to, to themselves. And many of them were not prepared for the platforms that they were given and, um, they're very candid about the mistakes that they made. There's some very interesting, complicated figures in the history of Christian music, like Larry Norman. And yet, they all work together in a way they didn't know they were working together to create a platform by which others can leap. And you see a lot of these modern artists that are sort of almost recreations of those that came before. So Lauren Daigle is a great example of, of being so much like Amy Grant, and they talk about it in the film, uh, just in their spirit and their personality. It's so cool to see a lot of these artists talking about each other in ways they've never done before. So, you know, for King and Country, talks about how inspired they were and how influenced they were by Striper, which we cover at length. And, and uh, you know, you just, that was inspiring to me. And also, there's just so much more of a story to tell. I hope that we can keep a podcast. It's frankly a great idea. You know, the idea is, you know, there's just so much material because it's a story that will never be, you know, that, that was not possible to tell right. um, prior to COVID and won't be able, it won't be able to be told again because all these artists are so busy. It was just a moment in time where we were all available and we all, um, you know, wanted to continue to create things. And, you know, it was just a landslide of, of so many different artists um, uh, participating, participating in a really honest and authentic way. It's, it's a look into the lives of some of the, the musicians that you love that you're not going to expect, um, you know, the, the struggle that they go through and, uh, and, and what they, you know, sort of had to achieve uh, uh, and, and, and what it costed. It was just a very honest look, and, uh, and I'm grateful that they were all involved. I mean, it was literally everybody in Christian music really yeah. jumped on board and, uh, in, a, in a pretty special way. John Irwin is joining us. He's producer, director of uh, a new film, a documentary in theaters this weekend called The Jesus Music, a movie that deserves to be experienced in a theater with that sound system, with that big screen. And uh, I want to talk about the business side of this after we take a break and would love to have you join us with thoughts, reflections, your thoughts about contemporary Christian music, where it's been, where it is, maybe your recollection of the first concert you went to. Our number is 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. If you'd like to join us on Southern California Live, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll be back in just a minute.
All right. You got to be of a certain age for that song to make any sense. That's the Imperials from 1977 with a song written by Chris Christian. It's when they were making their transition from Southern gospel into Christian contemporary pop music, kind of just when it was beginning. John Irwin is joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine on KPRZ and KKLA. We're talking about the movie that's coming out in theaters this weekend, a movie that you should start making plans now to go see when it's out this weekend. Get some friends, go together, watch the film. Whether you went to your first Christian concert in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, or it was just two years ago that you went to your first Christian concert, Learn the legacy of the music that that has shaped our faith for so many years. And we're talking with John about that and about the documentary that's going to be in theaters. And, and John, I have to ask you about a documentary in theaters because uh, people are coming back to the to the theaters for for Marvel movies. But I, I, I did the checking. So the Anthony Bourdain documentary is the biggest documentary opening in theaters this year, five million in domestic box office for that. The Kendricks just had the Show Me the Father documentary that's still in some theaters. It's done about a million and a half. So, I mean, what 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 are the options? I'm just talking businessman here. Can can this movie <laughs> make a profit here? Well, who knows? I believe it can. I mean, I think we've, we've sort of been smart about the plan. And, uh, you know, I think that, that uh, we just felt like it needed to be in theaters uh, first, you know, and certainly there'll be, uh, I, I just believe in the theatrical experience. I actually think that there's an opportunity for the faith audience to, to, um, to just let our voice be heard. You know, yeah. uh, we are so strong when our voice is unified and I've always said your movie ticket is your vote. And what I would call, uh, the last year and a half in the entertainment business is just an accelerator. It was it was like having 10 years of change in a single year, and there's lots of fear throughout the industry, and there's lots of disruption, especially with things that are much more expensive to make. And it just gives us an opportunity to, um, you know, we've always thought about, uh, like Caleb says in the Bible, give me this mountain to Joshua. We've, there's been a, a few of us, um, you know, looking at that hill with the Hollywood sign on it with the same attitude, like, God, give us this. We want, we want, we want to put Christianity back into the entertainment industry. And um, and I just love the theatrical experience. I just think there's nothing like right. a movie theater. And that is the thing that I do when I'm stressed or, you know, I've been in the house too long or I <laughs> want to experience life with a friend. I think it's safe and it's fun. And, and, and I just love going to movie theaters. And, uh, you know, I think I think it's, um, it's you know, it, you were, we're approaching it. And so, as much as I love watching things at home, I just I really love the idea of things that are exclusive in theaters. And, and I think we have an opportunity as Christians to say that you know our audience is, is, is large and loud, and uh, we want to give the audience that chance to to um, to show up. You know, and yeah. uh, I remember the opening weekend of I can only imagine. You know, it so shocked the system. Yeah. Uh, and it shocked everybody that it just led to you know what became the number one independent film of the year, and so that's where we want to start. Uh, so certainly it's a it's 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 a uh, you know we'll, we'll see, but but you know I, I believe in the theatrical experience. I love uh, movies. I love seeing movies with 
uh, you know, with my family and with my daughter and my wife and my friends. And uh, that's just, you know, we believe in the experience, and that's where we wanted to start. And it's so cool to see a movie studio like Lionsgate, um, you know, put uh, put a movie like this in theater, you know, put a documentary like this in theaters. And I just think it's a beautiful way to experience the music. I mean, I just, that's why I love, you know, I certainly love, you know, having headphones on and listening to the music, but there's nothing like the concert that you mentioned. Like, I just remember, you know, my memories with this music are all with a group of people experiencing it together in an immersive environment with the sound all around me. And that's just how I love this music. And that's how we wanted the movie to be seen first and foremost. And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly it'll take on a life of its own uh, after that. So, yeah, I would say that there's a ton of disruption in the entertainment industry. There's a lot of opportunity in that disruption. I think if anybody tells you, you know, what's going to happen next year and the year after, then nobody knows. But, right. but, uh, but I do think there's an opportunity for Christians uh, to 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 be sort of a, a, a bankable audience, an audience that can be relied on, and that is relevant now more than ever. So a lot of the opportunities that are happening in entertainment, you know, are because of COVID and because of the changes and because of the disruption. And I think that's an opportunity for us. You know, entertainment is America's second largest export behind agriculture, and it's a it's the most powerful vehicle to tell a story the world has ever uh, known. And when we unify our voice and we champion things, those things go on global autopilot. And all of a sudden, all these countries all over the world are paying for the right to have our, our you know, our movies in their country. And it's amazing to see how that works. And, and, um, and it's amazing to see what has happened. And I've actually, there's a lot, there's a lot of opportunities opening up just because of the last year and a half on behalf of Christianity within the industry. And, uh, and, and I'm grateful to see all that God is doing. One of the one of the guys that was at the uh, premiere last night was Jonathan, who plays the lead in Dallas's show, The Chosen. He plays Jesus, and to see that show just exploding and shocking the industry once again, um, I, I just think that God's uh, God's at work, and and the entertainment industry, when we unify our voice, takes notice. We're the largest. I was talking to somebody in the entertainment industry, uh, in the studio system, and they said. Uh, uh, is the faith audience uh, a wide audience or is it niche? And I said, well, how would you define a niche audience? And they said, well, by affinity, by common affinity. I said, well, well, by that term, it's the largest niche in the world. You know, <laughs> it's it's billions of people that all have affinity to one person that, by the way, we count time by. So we're a very powerful <laughs> audience when we unify our voice. And uh, and sometimes in times like this, I think instead of overthinking it, uh, it's better to say, you know, I want to experience this with the people I love in theaters, and I want the audience to have a chance to experience that with too. And uh, that's how we're launching it. It's the right way to see the film, and I hope I hope you have a great weekend for a number of reasons because I think the audience will enjoy it. I think it opens a whole lot of doors for films like this to get to a wider audience, and so I hope folks will go out and not just support it, but enjoy their time in the theater this weekend and and we we should just mention here while we're talking about this film right on the heels of this film coming out on Christmas you've got another film that we should let folks know about and start planning on right oh this is this is you know I've, I've always dreamed of, of of getting the gospel and getting Christianity on the biggest stages our industry has to offer and so we've been working on a movie called American Underdog, which is the Kurt Warner story, famous, probably one of the most famous underdog sports story. Uh, you know, that I think many, many, many people know that he was literally bagging groceries in Iowa, 
and just a few years later was the MVP of the NFL and the MVP of the Super Bowl. Uh, not many people know that he had the arm of a champion, he had the, the body of a champion, but he didn't have the heart of a champion. He found the heart of a champion when he met and married Brenda. And, and, and her son, uh, Zach, uh, uh, that, that she, uh, that was, um, younger when, when they met and, uh, was, was, was blind, was, was physically disabled, but had this incredible spirit about him. And he fell in love with her. He fell in love with Zach and, and he, he, he discovered everything beyond himself and, uh, and, and what life was really about. And that's really what made him a champion. So it is a rags to riches, inspirational sports story. Um, and Lionsgate is choosing to put it out wide in theaters everywhere um, on Christmas Day, which there's always, there's that, that's typically Star Wars or Marvel. There, if you think about it, there's heroes typically at Christmas at the theater, um, whether it's, you know, again, like Ray or, you know, my goodness, Iron Man. But to have a Christian hero in theaters on Christmas Day is, is just a big deal, and it is such a statement of legitimacy on behalf of our audience. It's such a large platform. I can't wait for people to see the film, really because of all of the um, you know, uh, support from our audience. You know, Lionsgate let us make a movie you know, with, with the budget. It's one of the largest movies made you know, uh, since The Passion in terms of faith-based film. Um, and, and it's mainstream. It stars... Uh, uh, Zach Levi, who's just finishing up Shazam two uh, in in Atlanta. That's a first of all. That's an that's a that's an unfair amount of talent. When you can anchor a TV show <laughs> like Chuck, and then you can be Flynn Rider in Tangled for Disney. You can be a star on Broadway, and you can be a superhero and anchor a superhero franchise. Like for the rest of men everywhere, it's like that's too much, Zach. <laughs> that's like Hugh Jackman stuff, you know. But uh, but but he's great in the film and a Paquin Academy Award winner. Is fantastic in the film. Dennis Quaid returns. He's playing Dick Vermeil, and of course, we love him from I can only imagine. And it's just a, a great uh, team, and it's a great story. And you know, I think it's one of those things that our goal with making Kurt Warner was it's to, the idea is to rekindle the dreams of the audience for the audience to say, you know what, if he can accomplish his dreams, maybe I can accomplish mine. And maybe the things that God's put in my heart that seem impossible aren't as impossible as they seem. And uh, that's, that's always been the goal. And maybe, you know, if they can stay together and hold together as a family, maybe we can too. And, and uh, that's always been the goal and the dream of the movie. And, and it really, I think it's the best movie we've made, certainly the biggest movie we've made. And the idea that it's coming out everywhere over Christmas, it's just that thing, you know, there's so many, there's so few things, I should say, that, that and especially at that time of year, that a family can do together, that we can all go do together, you know? And so it's designed to be um, an inspirational movie for the entire family. And uh, and I can't wait for people to see it. Uh, we're finishing it now. I'm literally flying, as soon as I get on this interview and fly to L.A., to look at the final uh, sound mix. John Debney, who, who did the score for The Passion of Christ and Iron Man 1 and 2 and um, Jungle Book and many other films, is writing the music, and, and, uh, and we're putting the pieces together. When you finish a movie, you, you get to what's called picture lock, and... Um, and once the film sort of can't be changed, you break it apart and you do color correction. In this case, there's tons of visual effects because, you know, we, we didn't have stadiums, with, you know, <laughs> with, with 60,000 people in them. And then you, you do all the work and then there's this magical moment, which I'm going to experience in the morning where you put all the pieces back together and you see the final film. And, hmm. and, uh, and we're looking at it in the morning. I can't wait for people to see it in theaters Christmas Day.
Well, the trailer is up. If folks want to Google American Underdog and see the trailer and and start getting ready for that Christmas Day release of American Underdog. And, of course, this weekend, the Jesus music film, John Irwin, joining us this afternoon on Southern California Live, talking about the documentary that will be out in theaters this weekend. Uh, Check it out. Find out when it's coming to a theater near you and make plans to go see it this weekend. We'll continue the conversation with our guest, John Irwin, after we take a quick break. We'll be back. Southern California Live, Bob Lapine on a Tuesday afternoon with you on KKLA and KPRZ. We're talking about Jesus music, about the Jesus music, the movie that's coming out this weekend in theaters. John Irwin, producer and director of the film, the documentary, is joining us this afternoon. And there's a song, John, you didn't have to be listening to Christian radio to know Baby Baby when it came out in the late 80s, and it you, you talk about it in the film. This was one of those songs that caused a lot of Christians to go, wait, what? What, what are you wait, singing what? about? Yeah. What, what's it going on happened, here? You know, it was it's interesting. You know, one of the themes of the movie is just the, the pioneers and the entrepreneurs and just the fear of anything that's new. And and, you know, when you do something for the first time, I mean, all the way back to, my goodness, Handel's Messiah, or even the hymns that um, that Martin Luther wrote, not covered in the film, you know, there's just been this opposition, this pushback to what's new. And when Amy really broke out into the mainstream, you know, and what she was carrying, she really, you know, rightly so, is the, is the queen of Christian pop. And, and she was sort of carrying that mantle. Uh, and that was difficult, you know, and, and we covered just the success of it and, and all the the records that she sold, and she she did this this pop album, you know, and, and Baby Baby is this song that swept the country, but a lot of Christians um, uh, opposed it and, and really didn't know what to do with it. And and uh, it's interesting in, in retrospect, the um, you know the controversy of it, and it just it just shows me that one of the things that I'm most inspired by about the film is the courage to do something that's new. And so many times, you know, God calls us to things that haven't been done before and that people might not understand, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I think that, uh, it's so cool to tell the story, you know, in retrospect, this is not something, you know, Lauren Daigle having a mainstream hit and faith, you know, in hits within CCM and on Christian radio, that's just commonplace. But back then that was a big deal. And that was a very new thing. And, uh, and Amy was the first to do it. And it's just very inspiring to, to know that, um, you know, sometimes to step out into the arena and do something that hasn't been done before is a bold and noble thing, and that paves the way for others to follow. And that's exactly what happened with uh, the Jesus music and and with the, with the pioneers of it. And it's cool to tell their story and a story that has never been told before. There's a, everybody that sees the film loves it, but they're like, I just had no idea. I had no idea about all these stories that this is what really happened, you know, and uh, it's fascinating in that right. She and and Michael W. Smith both served as executive producers on this film, the Jesus film, the Jesus music film, and and you really point to Michael's worship concert more than a decade ago as kind of a turning point in in where Christian music was going, where it is today, and the whole explosion of worship music as kind of a subgenre as an indicator of, of what God is doing even today in Christian music? Well, the hope, you know, one of the themes of the documentary 
is that the Jesus music, what is contemporary Christian music today, was an explosion out of the Jesus movement, which is just the last great sweeping move of God in our country. If you go see the film for any reason, just go see it for the first 45 minutes. You know, when when we cover um, just the last great move of God in our country, and, um, you know, we want it to happen again. And it's interesting, as with anything, when you do something for the first time, you're doing it for all the right reasons. You're doing it for the, just the, the beauty and magic of the art itself. And then all of a sudden people are buying it. And now all of a sudden, you know, there's places to, to, to sell it and there's places to, um, to sort of, uh, you know, play it. And then all of a sudden there's a business and then it becomes an industry. And I think there was a time in Christian music where it was very foggy, you know, where, where it was sort of like, you know, and it needed uh, to get back to the essence. Of, of what started it and sort of the origin of it. And, um, and in many ways, to me, uh, one of the ways that the essence of the music, that the origin of what started this all was rekindled was the worship explosion. And the first time I remember that was in that Michael W. Smith concert. I, remember I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, just, I remember those songs. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, those moments in the concert, and that was such a new experience, which I would argue now has been amplified and perfected by people like Hillsong and 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 Bethel and so many of the of the of the masters of you know of of, of sort of this worship experience today. Chris Tomlin certainly uh, leader among them, but it was new back then, you know, and and it was interesting. One of the stories covered in the film is that Michael W. Smith didn't want to do a worship album, resisted it, and God just kept speaking to him in early 2001, waking up at night, and, and he just felt like, okay, so it's an act of obedience. He did that record thinking it would fail, thinking it was just not a good choice, that he was a pop artist, that he had had all this mainstream success. That ended up being his most successful uh, record, and and uh, and it came out on September 11, 2001, so, so it literally came out on 9-11, and uh, and I think was something that we all needed at that time. And so it's cool to just see that act of obedience uh, manifest in, in in success in what was his most successful uh, record. And uh, and the documentary is just filled with sort of goosebump stories like that, and then stories that'll break your heart and put it back together again. And and uh, but ultimately, I think as we studied it, you know, as things do, you lose your way. In success, you lose your way. Uh, in the entertainment industry, you know, after there's a hit, everybody wants another one. And and it was cool to see, um, in many ways, the artists come back to the origin of, of what inspired the music uh, in the first place. I think Greg Laurie says it best. He says, you know, it was the Jesus movement and there was Jesus music. And that's why we had no idea what to call the film. But every artist just said, you know, at its origin, at the beginning, we called this, it wasn't CCM, we called this Jesus music. It was Jesus music. And we just felt, well, that's, that needs to be what the title of the film is, because that's the essence of why they sing, you know, and the hope that they want to get to the world. So we thought, well, that's what we should call the film. And so there's a lot of great stories in and throughout the doc. And again, I can't wait for people to see it in theaters this weekend. And and it is called the Jesus Music. It's in theaters. We, we could talk about this for another couple of hours, John. But but in in the the minute and a half we have left, where is Christian filmmaking today compared to where Christian music was? Are, is are you in the eighties? Are you you know? Well, if, that's, if, a, 
that's the great that's the great one of the great reasons we did the documentary. Um, I remember talking to Sean Aston. We were working on the film Woodlawn. He said, "I see a few of you, you know, my brother and I, the, the Kendricks, Devon Franklin, certainly Dallas Jenkins now, as frontiersmen and pioneers." And I said, "Thank you, Sean. That, that's like high praise." He said, "You know, John, most frontiersmen." They die on the frontier, and then the settlers come in. And I'm like, I haven't thought about that. We'll be frozen, pointing to the summit. The trail will be clearly marked. But it is a privilege. You know, industries are like, you know, cement. They harden over time, and, and they're not malleable for very long. And it's, it's, so, it's such a privilege to be a part of something that you can leave your fingerprints on. And I would argue that with Christian film, we are very much in the origins of Christian music. There's a few of us that are, that are pioneering it. The audience is supporting it. We're trying to wrestle with what Christian movies even are and can there be different genres? Maybe this isn't a genre. Maybe it's a cause. There can be all kinds of different types of music. And I just think that that's, that's sort of where we, where we are today. And that was very inspiring in working on the film as it seems so resonant to what we're trying to do in Christian movies today. And maybe we can make a platform by which new voices and new talent can far exceed what we're accomplishing today. So it was, uh, it was informative and inspiring uh, on that front. And I just love stories of pioneers. And, and maybe some cautionary tales for you along the way as well. John Irwin joining <laughs> yes. us this afternoon on Southern California Live. The movie's called The Jesus Music. It's going to be in theaters this weekend. And I would encourage you to get friends and go see this remarkable documentary. Uh, again, uh, you, you will enjoy this. If you've had any exposure to Christian music, you will enjoy this. Thanks, John, for joining us here on Southern California Live on a Tuesday afternoon. Bob, as always, appreciate your friendship. Great talking to you, and uh, I hope to see you in person soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.